founder and CEO. I mean, this sounds grand at the start, first line. She created the Hebe Foundation, which is a Christian youth charity. Amy has for 30 years of youth work experience in various Christian and non-Christian organizations. Within her church, she has served as youth deacon, worship leader, and listen to this, welcome to the Salvation Army, drummer. Amy is that person that gives you a headache when you're sat next to him. Luke Furlong is all I've got to say, okay? In 2007, having founded the Hebe Foundation to help young people realise and utilise their God-given talents. She's director on the board of the London Baptists, so again, another tradition that we brought into our gathering this week. Amy specialises in purpose and vision, diversion, diversity, inclusion and culture. Amy, I want to say to you, we have a massive challenge facing this organisation and um, we need to address it in all seriousness. And Amy knows my heart on this. So I thank God for the diversity of thinking, of thought and process on this call. But we've got much more to do. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. Over to you. I am recording this, by the way, just so you know. OK. Good morning, everybody. Hi, yeah, do that for me, yeah. <laughs> great to be here with you this morning. Great to see all of you, all of your smiley faces. Um, seriously, such a privilege to be here. Um, yeah, when Andrew invited me, I was like, oh, I can't speak for the Salvation Army. You guys are like massive. You're like, historically, you're like, you know, you've been here forever. I mean, obviously not as long as God's been here, but you know, the Salvation Army is like, ah! Um, but he's like, no. And the thing is, meeting Andrew, because I don't know much about the Salvation Army, I'll put my hands up. But meeting Andrew, he's like giving me a really nice uh, impression of you guys. And I feel like you're all like that. You're just amazing people. So uh, as, as a whole, so I'm just so privileged to be here with you all. Um, is everybody here to hear me clearly? My OK, my headphones aren't rattling too much, no? All right. Brilliant. So, uh and just kind of explains about me, but I just wanted to say um, that uh, I live in, growing up in, working in South London um, has been very challenging. Now, uh, the Hebe Foundation works across London uh, and we're about to spread out as well. So we're looking for partners. Hint, hint, okay. We're looking for partners across the nation. Uh, we want to bring our work out to young people <clears throat> around the country. But we work all across London and we work in the most deprived areas of London. So we're in the Clapham, the Brixton, the Peckhams, the Lewishams, the Harringays, the Hounslows, and all these Croydon, all these areas where there is a lot of deprivation um, and uh, a lot of crime and all those kind of things. Now, I don't want to paint the picture like London is just horrible <laughs> and grey and, and, you know, uh, just so much pain and suffering, because it's not. There are amazing things happening in London. Um, and there's amazing things happening with our young people as well. And there are amazing things happening with your young people. Uh, and I want just to take a minute just to celebrate to really celebrate them because often we don't. We see the negative, we see, okay, this, you know, another person's, young person's been stabbed. 
another young person's uh, got teenage pregnancy, another one's done this, another one's that, done that, but we don't take enough time to celebrate them. And this is not just me talking. This is me coming back from their feedback. You know, uh, young people don't feel like they're celebrated enough. And, you know, we could argue for and against that if we want to, but what a young person needs is reassurance. Reassurance in this crazy world, and it is crazy at the moment, I think we can all say that, in this crazy world, they need reassurance. They need to understand that they are valued, they are loved, they are accepted, they are wanted. Because so many different voices are telling them so many different things. And right now we're living in a fickle genera generation, a fickle time, you know? One minute you're on, next minute you're canceled. If you all know what about the cancel culture. And that's not just on a global scale or on a media, social media, um, celebrity level. It's the day to day. The amount of young people I talk to and it's like, basically they got canceled this week by their friends, you know? But when, with us, when we had an argument with our friends or we stopped talking with our friends in, back in school, you know, you just kind of, it, it happened, you didn't like it, it was horrible and stuff like that. But now when that happens, it's on TikTok, it's on Snapchat, it's on Instagram, you know, it's all over. Everybody knows about it. There's visual evidence. I mean, literally, I was talking to a young person on Sunday and uh, she was telling me the story of, of her and her friends or now ex-friends and what's going on. And one of them cancelled their friend on TikTok. So they created a whole video, you know, uh, showcasing this young person, not even showcasing because that's a nice word, but basically uh, putting out their business and, and, and telling the whole world about how this other young person is just really bad and they're this and they're that. And they just, you know, it has such a massive impact now. So they need to be celebrated. But let's go back to what I am talking about. Now, obviously, I'm coming from a youth perspective, which is good because uh, our young people are, are the church. And we know that in order for our church, regardless of what denomination or where we're from, we know that in order for it to continue existing, we need to focus on the young people. It's imperative. They must be at the forefront of our mission and our engagement and everything else. Because without them, we know there's a limited time on the development and the growth of the church. So I will be coming from a youth perspective, but I'm also coming from a general, how do we wrestle? How do we tackle the issue of, or the uh, question around social and contextual engagement beyond the walls of the church? Now, I've got myself a nice little PowerPoint. Um, I'm the kind of person who I start with a PowerPoint and then I forget about it. Okay. <laughs> I just, seriously, I just start it and then I'll, I'll forget clicking. And I want to be able to see you. So I, I, I switch off to PowerPoint. So if that happens, just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to put the PowerPoint on because I did choose a nice picture. Um, <laughs> and then I'll just forget about it. Anyway. Uh, let me just start. Social and contextual engagement beyond the walls of the church. <clears throat> the Hebe Foundation is all about this. So we are an organisation, we work in collaboration with churches and we go out and deliver 
projects and supports and guidance to young people across London. We use churches because we are a Christian organization. We want to help churches equip them, sorry, to build their youth ministry and to really be about uh, outreach, going out and working with the young people. Um, we use churches because churches are wonderful in the sense that they give us space for free. You know, the, the, the workers are there ready to, to uh, help and to deliver the work that we're doing. We know that obviously church has a, a heart as big as the ocean and we know the love that uh, everyone has for young people. So churches are perfect. Um, but we also uh, partner with other organisations. We partner with mosques. We have a lot of young people who are Muslim, uh, a lot of different faiths actually who come through and actually come into church buildings to engage in some of our projects. Uh, we partner with companies as well. We partner with other organizations. We partner with these because we know that church isn't within the four walls of our church building. We know that if we want to impact young people and really help them to develop and grow, we need to go out and we need to engage with the world. We need to position ourselves to love. Now, this is our, over, our overarching question. Are we positioning ourselves to love as the church, as individuals? And I kind of want to unpack what that means today, okay? Positioning ourselves to love. Now, you might think, yeah, of course we are. That's, you know, uh, uh, not even, it's a no-brainer. But actually, is it? Because our thoughts don't always coincide with our actions. And this is one of the things I think we need to look at to see how do we move forward to be really effective in our community. And so we're gonna, like I said, look at that right now. Right, so just to give you a flavor of who we are, this is my, some of my team. You'll see orange is our color. Uh, Hebe, by the way, is uh, the, one, the Greek word for youth. So um, it's basically the youth foundation. And so you can see my lovely team here, very much representative of, um, the communities that we are working in and we live in and you know so all of these people here are people who have grown up in these communities yeah they are people who live there who breathe there who work there um, a lot of these people here are young people who have come up through our organization so they were participants engagers um, beneficiaries of all of the things we do and now they've got to a point where they are a bit older and we train them up and they are now delivering the work. Succession is key. And we can touch on that later, but succession is key. These are not all of these young people are Christians at all. Everybody is welcome to come in. Everybody adheres to our ethos. Um, but it's about cultivating that community, that new uh, way of thinking, that new mindset that uh, 
basically allows everybody to sit at the table. And I know you spoke about that last night, but allows everybody to sit at the table. Not just sit at the table, but the table needs to be level. Often you'll find you can come, you can be invited to sit at the table, but you'll find that the side you're sitting on is shorter. The leg is shorter. So the table is uneven. You know what I mean? So there's not equality there. And so we all are about bringing everybody to the table, but the table must be equal. Anyway, that's just a little thing there. So I will live with them and I will walk with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. God doesn't live in the building. He lives in our hearts. Jesus was a walker. He walked a lot. You know, I'm trying to make sure I do my 10,000 steps every single day. But Jesus walked a lot, which meant he was not confined to the, uh, the normal way, the stereotypical way of doing church at the time. He came and did something fresh. He had momentum. And I feel today, and I'm sure we're probably all in the same space, is that we, have, we are stuck. As a church, we are kind of stuck, you know. What we were doing before isn't necessarily working and isn't necessarily effective. And I do believe that's because we are not allowing ourselves to be carried on the momentum of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to always propel us forward. Because our God is a God of movement. Historically, he's moved his people. If you think about the Israelites, they moved, they moved, they moved, they moved, they moved. Okay? Uh, his people have always moved. He's always been about go out, go out and, and, and make, uh, multiply. Go and make disciples. Go and tell the good news. I will live with them and walk with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus was a walker. And I think we need to put on our trainers and we need to start walking again. That means walking into bits of society that don't necessarily uh, welcome us, that aren't necessarily comfortable, that uh, we don't understand, that there might be hostility, there might be fear. We're walking into parts of society that... Um, are affluent, that are full of poverty, that are maybe full of um, promise and full of despair. We are walking. Now, historically, the church was the community. The church would have built the hospitals, the church would have, you know, had doctors, the church would have uh, had the schools and the orphanages. So what happened to us? Where did it kind of all go wrong? Why is it that the church has moved from being the hub of the community and is now on the margins of community? Why is that? And I think, I think it's because we're not walking. I think it's because we kind of got comfortable in that middle place. And that becomes very secure. Now, <clears throat> when I'm working with my young people, um, as soon as they hit a milestone, 
as soon as they get that, that that light bulb moment, as soon as they have that opportunity and they they grab it and they see it for what it is, I'm getting them to move on. There is a next challenge to do. There's a next mountain to climb because the reality is for them, there's a lot more mountains than, you know, than level ground. It's, it's a constant, a constant having to struggle over something or be challenged by something. Whether that is the fact that they're coming from one parent families, a, a broken home, or, you know, they're having to deal with um, being a primary carer in the house, having to look after maybe sick parents or siblings, uh, looking after their siblings, because uh, mum and dad has to go to work, whether they are struggling with uh, communication, effective communication, because they've not had that in their households, whether it is that they're struggling at school because actually the teachers just don't understand them. They aren't taking the time to understand their culture and where they're coming from, and there's a disconnect there. There are so many struggles. Whether the struggles is actually I need to put food on my table at such a young age, and so therefore do I choose that life of instant money and selling drugs and county lines, or do I go and try and work at McDonald's and, and bring in a little bit, you know, at a time? So the, all these kind of things our young people are struggling with, there's just a few. And so we, the church, need to be at the centre of that. What happens to us? Now, we know church attendance is, is, is dropping. If it, I think that's fair to say, yeah? Um, I know within the, within the Baptist church, we, we're struggling. Um, uh, I know in other denominations as well, especially since uh, lockdown, a lot of people are reevaluating and thinking, you know, it was nice just going online and, and, and watching the stuff there. Maybe I don't need to actually fully engage. But we need to. We need to because the need is great. And so, therefore, it brings me to what Jesus said. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or first and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So Jesus is telling us that we need to go out and be in those areas of society where there is a struggle. We, it's not just good enough us giving to others and hoping that they will do a situation. We need to go in there and be Jesus to people. And that is the practical everyday things, the, the, the practical needs, the instantaneous needs that they have, we need to address those needs. First and foremost, addressing the needs of those in need. 
So we need to intentionally position ourselves to love because this is what love looks like when we go out and help others. So, I want to quickly tell you a story. Um, Adrian, he lives maybe four house, four or five houses down on the opposite side of um, my my house, my road. My sister was um, taking some stuff out of the boots. So she'd just gone shopping, food shopping. Uh, she was getting a whole load of stuff because we have a family cake business. So she was getting stuff for the business. Anyway, the boot was full and she was having to take stuff out. She was parked away from the house because there was no parking spaces. Parking is really bad in London, by the way. Um, there was no parking spaces. So she would have to walk a good while to get back to the house. There was a guy called Adrian and he was upstairs, first floor, second floor. Uh, and he was sitting at his window. He was working. This was literally two weeks ago. He was working at his desk. He was actually in a meeting on Zoom, just like we are now with many different people. And he saw my sister. He left his Zoom meeting, went all the way downstairs outside of his house, and he took all the things into the house for my sister. Now, my sister was blown away by this. She just felt, wow. I mean, it was she needed help right there and then. What he didn't know is that she's got a knee injury. So actually, every walk was a struggle for her. But he didn't know that. Um, and just that act of love, that act of kindness, just impacted her so much. Because it's like, you know, in London, I don't know what it's like for you guys, those of you who aren't in London, but in London, you don't always know all of your neighbours. You know, you can literally live next door to someone and you never say hello to them. It's a bit cold down here sometimes. So um, to have someone leave what they're doing and to come and help her, you know, they did not know each other. Um, and he came and, and he helped and it really impacted her. So anyway, she gave him cake and stuff like that. But the matter of fact is, um, this is not a Christian guy, so it's not like, oh yeah, this is God working in, that he knew of. Um, this was an intentional positioning. Not that he knew it, but God used it. He didn't have to put his uh, desk there, yeah, at the window, but his desk was there. That's where he positioned it. He was in a meeting, so he was focused, but he allowed himself to see beyond the immediate and to look beyond that. So he looked out, yeah? So he started to look on the peripherals. He started to look beyond what he could physically see in that square bit, which was the computer screen, and he looked beyond. He looked to the margins, yeah? He looked to the places he wouldn't necessarily be looking to. He looked out beyond his comfort zone, beyond his security, beyond what he knew, and he saw a need. He didn't hesitate. He just immediately reacted to it, yeah? To the point of that, he left what he was doing. It was a meeting. It was an important meeting. <laughs> my sister asked him. She's like, oh, my gosh, you just... And uh, he left what he... And he saw there was a greater need, and he addressed it. 
or what he felt was a greater need. Now, I thought that was an amazing example, an amazing, amazing example of us being engaging with community and, you know, showing God's love. And this was from a non-Christian. So there is something there for us to learn. He positioned himself. He didn't know that sitting at the table, putting his table or desk in front of the window would, would lead to this. It might not even have much impact on him, but it had a massive impact on my sister. Yeah. She was praising God all week long because for her to see someone do such a thing in this day of age was, you know, was like, wow, this is, this, this is crazy. Um, so if we allow ourselves, if we intentionally position ourselves, we can do something. We can work with society. We can go out there and make a change, make a difference. And it might be a small thing. But that's where it starts. But we have to be intentional about it. We have to really think, how can we as an individual and how can we as a church, how can we as a people position ourselves to help? Now, um, I had a friend, I have a friend and she was saying how when she first started coming to my church, uh, she was dating my other friend who was going to the church. So she was dating him. And she lives all the way in Chesson, which is outside of London. And she would come down every Sunday to our church. It was a two hour drive. She had a small child at the time. And she would come every Sunday to our church and to, to do community with him, to do life with him. You know, this is a major part of his life. She was coming down to engage in that. And she, they often come to our house, my house after service and we chill and everything like that. So it's meant she was doing like a four hour journey back and forth and she was getting really late and stuff like that. And she was just saying the sacrifice she used to make, the things she used to did, do to come out of her way to, to show this guy that she was serious about him and that, you know, she was serious about his life and everything like that. And that, that what he, he believed in. And she said, but it felt like a burden at the time as much as she liked it, it really did feel like a burden at the time, but it brought her closer to God. It made, that was what was actually developing her relationship with God, was that making that journey and coming down. So there was a sacrifice there, and we're going to talk about that in a bit, because these acts of love require sacrifice. And I think this is probably one of the things that is stopping us from being effective right now is the fact that are we willing to deal with the sacrifice? Yeah. So I just want to quickly tell you about another positioning of love. Um, uh, some year, about six years ago, my brother-in-law, he um, collapsed. Uh, he had an aneurysm, massive bleed on the brain which uh, led to two strokes and everything like that. And doctor said he wasn't going to live and everything like that, but he did live, thankfully. Um, and so he, uh, he needed care. You know, he had to do that whole thing, rehabilitation again, trying to walk and all that sort of stuff. So um, at some point when he, he was in hospital for a long time and then he came home. And then at some point my sister had to go back to work because she was now the, you know, the main breadwinner. 
and you know they've got children and stuff like that so she had to go back to work full-time and so my mum stepped in to care for her for him sorry and you know people say I just think oh that's it's great because that's what my mum does she will do those kind of things but people are like yeah I don't think you understood don't know what she did she literally was caring for him every single day and people are like a lot of uh, mother-in-laws wouldn't do that for their sons but she did anyway she would go, she'd cook, she'd clean, and she'd look after him every single day. Now, for me, that was a major act of, of love because she literally put her whole life on hold to look after her son-in-law whilst my sister was at work and, you know, kids at school and everything like that. Um, what she was able to do was to display that love for him. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but during that time, because he saw the commitments that my mum made him, because he saw how she put everything on pause and just focused on him and on his growth, on his development, on his healing and all of this, that enabled him to get to a place where he saw Christ and he saw it in her in the every day today of her cooking him a breakfast and cooking him lunch and preparing dinner for when everybody else got home and helping him, cleaning him and all these things. That's where he saw God's love, in that immediate need that he had. Yeah, that immediate need that he had. Now she was doing all the things in the background. She was doing the praying. She was doing all of that. You know, she was, you know, claiming him for Christ, all of that in the background. But in the, what he could see was just an act of love. She met his need. And so he made a decision to give his life to the Lord, which was amazing. Now, unfortunately, he passed away uh, three years ago from, from the, the, the illness. Um, but and it's obviously it's horrible but if he had had not had that time with my mum he would not necessarily have given his life to the Lord he would not necessarily have realized who his 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 creator is who his father is his Abba father who loves him who has that eternal life for him because he would not have had that opportunity to receive that act of love you know so there is a sacrifice there. There's a sacrifice there that my mum made, but the sacrifice paid off. Sometimes we get to see the sacrifice paid off. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just have to do what we need to do and then you know, leave it to God and know that he's, he's at some point that the, the impact we made will come to fruition. And yes, it kind of ended, it ended up in a tragic story because he, my, my brother-in-law passed away, but my sister has the comfort that he passed away knowing God, you know? And that is much more than, than anyone could help, could hope for. So it's about us positioning ourselves. And I know I've gone over my 15 minutes, Andrew, so I'm going to leave us with a question or put us with a question now, okay? And I guess my question is, first of all, we need to understand what happened to us? What happened to us in the sense of where the church was, being the hub, being the, you know, being 
going out. We, we had the momentum. What happened to us? Why have we stopped? And I know, because I, you guys are pioneers, so I know that we are all doing bits and pieces. I know we are. You know, I know we, our heart is for mission. I know where we are, but we are the ones, because we, 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 have, we are already on this journey, we are the ones who are going to have to go and bring others with us and get the whole church moving. So why have we stopped? Why? This is my question. And I'm wrestling with this, you know, and I've given some, some observations, but I, this is something I feel we really do need to explore. And not just go but rehash stuff and go back, all that kind of things like that, but really kind of understand why. Because even if we make a move, we are always in danger of stopping again until we truly understand what that blockage is. You know, we, we can't be like the, the Israelites where we, we go a bit and then we mess up again and then we have to go round and round again and then go round and round again. Time is short. The need is great. So why have we stopped? Why are we not walking with Jesus in that sense? So that's my question for us at the So yeah, so I'm, I'm glad we've all had this discussion. We had some really great stuff in, in our uh, breakout group. Um, one of the things I wanted to say is that um, we need to be authentic, authentic in, in our positioning, authentic in our seeing around us and not just seeing the focus, you know, uh, that whole Jesus walking. Um, he, allowed, he allowed life, society, uh, community to, uh, en- he engaged with it as he walked, yeah? Now, he had an end goal, and we all have an end goal with uh, my organization, the Hebrew Foundation. My end goal is to be able to reach X amount of young people and really, really see their lives, you know, just change for the better. And, and, and that they will transform their other lives as well, see that ripple effect of, of, of the work that we do. Um, to see their gifts and their their talents awakened and used and then walking in their destiny, you know, what has been planned for their life by God. But we've got to deal with the everyday as well. And it's about being authentic in that. Yes, this is the goal, but actually I'm here with you in this moment. I'm present. I'm actually breathing this and living this with you. So for instance, um, have a young person. And I can say her name because it's ended up to be a brilliant story. But um, Alicia, she uh, started with us when she was about 13 or so. She started doing our projects and, and coming in and mentoring her. I was her personal mentor. Um, she had a bit of a on-off, hot-cold relationship with her mum. So her mum wasn't always there to support her. Um, she got pregnant uh, when she was a teenager. Um and then she got pregnant again. A couple of years later, she had twins. Uh, her mum wasn't uh, supporting her in the sense of she wasn't helping her. She was attending appointments with her and things like that. Alicia had quite a few complications. And so Alicia called me and I would go with her to the hospital and I would sit with her when there was an emergency and she had to go in the middle of the night. I would go with her and we'd be there till what time in the morning? 
in casualty and things like that. When she had the twins, again, there were some complications and uh, one of them, unfortunately, died a few hours uh, after childbirth. I was with her. I journeyed with her. I was there. I had the, the beautiful baby boy in my arms, you know, uh, as we mourned together of his passing. We, had, we were allowed to be with, he was allowed to be with us for a number of hours, you know, after he had passed. And it was extremely difficult, extremely difficult for me on so many levels. Um, it's, it was obviously what I was there to do. Was it the end goal of, no, it wasn't. Was it what I was, you know, uh, I had set out to do that morning or that day? No, it wasn't. But this was the need that was right there. Yeah. Now, I could have tried to find someone else to go or I could have focused and said, okay, you know, Hebe is only open between this hours and this hours. And, and we're all about projects and not, not necessarily about helping the individual young person. But that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to be with everybody in every situation, regardless of how hard it is. And equally, it was kind of hard for me as well. I mean, to, I have, I've witnessed births. I've been at my niece's and my nephew's births, which is brilliant, wonderful. But I had never witnessed death in a child. And I held that child in my arms and the grief was, was um, just overwhelming. But I had to, but I was journeying with Alicia. We grieved together. It wasn't my child, but it felt like my child. We grieved together. And this is where I'm coming in with the whole sacrifice. Sometimes when we are positioning ourselves for love, we need to be aware that there might be a sacrifice for you. It might not be easy. You would have to witness some stuff that is quite upsetting and ugly because this is the society we are living in, you know? And as I was there holding this child and then holding this other more bigger child, Alicia, with one arm and a child in my other arm, you know, having to comfort her, taking a position that her mum should have taken, but instead she had to call me. That's when you start to understand the reality of the society you're, you're, you're living in and you're operating in, you know, and how important it is for us to be intentional and be there in the moment, no matter how hard the moment is with others. <clears throat> I learned from that. I learned so much from that experience. So it wasn't just for Alicia. I was able to gain an insight and understanding from the Lord for putting me in that position. He opened my capacity to love even more than I, I, I knew for I had. And it's about allowing ourselves to be used by God in that sense. But knowing that it is not necessarily a easy thing to position ourselves for love. Um, I've continued to journey with Alicia. She is now married and has another child. So she's got, you know, three children now. She's married to one of our young people. So, you know, they both got married. They came for our projects together. It's an amazing story. It's a lovely turnaround story. Is she still struggling? Yes. You know, she's on universal credit. They, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, her husband, um, one of my young people, he's, he's got some, uh, mental health issues, you know, they're struggling through that. 
um, of one of the twin, the, the twin surviving twin, he's uh, severely disabled. Um, multiple times we've been called, we had to rush him to hospital because, um, you know, ish, complicated issues. So the struggles are there. Is her relationship with her mum better? It is better. Is it great? Not necessarily, but it is better. So things have changed. Things have, have, have progressed for her. She's at university, she's studying, all these things. So we see the, the, the development, we see the growth, we see what God is doing. We also see that the struggle is real. And the struggle doesn't just end in one particular, you know, moment. The struggle is ongoing because the struggle is also on from society and all the things that are happening around that, you know. And it's about helping a person or not even just helping a person, journey of a person to be able to build that resilience to undergo whatever society puts on them or whatever the environment that they're living in to be able to thrive and succeed in that. And that's what it's about when it comes to our young people in the situation that they are in. A lot of them are helpless. They can't change the family setup. They can't change necessarily how, um, and I'm not putting down schools, but there is, a, there is a lack of, the communication isn't quite there. Hence the continuous conflicts, you know, um, the, the, the lack of opportunities for certain young people from different uh, ethnic minorities. All these things are still there. Racism is still there. You know, poverty is still there. But how do they strengthen? How do we help them strengthen themselves through it? But in that strengthening, we are strengthening ourselves as well. It's always a two-way thing. Um, positioning ourselves. But like I said, there is a sacrifice. And it always leads me back to um, uh, Moses. No, sorry, not Moses, um, Abraham. And when Abraham had Isaac, that promise, that promise of him being, you know, the father of all the nations through this one seed, through his son, who he waited so long for, who he didn't think was ever going to happen. And then, you know, God blessed him and Sarah with Isaac, this one child, this amazing child is the love of his life. And God said, give him to me. Give him to me. <laughs> After all of that, God said, sacrifice it to me. But Abraham loved God. He loved him so much that he said yes, he obeyed. And he went, and he went to do it. And we all know that God stopped him at the last minute and said, no, I will give you something else to sacrifice, you know. But it's about how far are we willing to go for love? How far are we willing to go for love? Now, Abraham went that far. He went that far. And, you know, Kudos to him, because I don't know if I would have been able to do that. I don't know if many of us would have been able to do that. But that's how much he loved God for to, to, to do that for love. And what are we willing to do? I was willing to sit in the hospital and feel the pain of losing a child. I've, I don't have children, guys. I, I, you know, I, I've never had that, that, that privilege and that, and that you know, uh, joy of, 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 of birthing a child but I have so many children <laughs> that are not my own, but to sit there and to lose a child, you know, to, to be in that position, what are you willing to do? How uncomfortable are you willing to get? You know, with my mum, was it the day-to-day -day grind of having to travel from one place to another to go and look after her, her son-in-law and to, you know, continuously try and lift up his spirits, even when he was feeling really down and feeling like, what was the point and all of that, you know? 
is it uh, Adrian who sat at the window and sacrificed leaving his Zoom meeting, his Zoom call meeting to go and help my sister? You know, what are the things that we are willing to do, whether it's small or big? What sacrifice are we willing to make? Because we know that Jesus made that sacrifice. He made the ultimate sacrifice. And he's not calling us to do that, but he is calling us to engage in acts of love. And acts of love always require us to give. Give. And in today's society, it means us giving uncomfortably. It means we need to be disrupted. It means we can't continue to do church how we have been doing it previously because it's we're not giving enough it's not effective we're not making the 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 changes that need to be made um when it comes to young people i want to talk a little bit about young people and um how we how we do this um i never ask a young person to do anything that i won't do so for me my team we lead by example you know, so if I'm telling you to have faith and jump there or, or take this next step, I would have already taken it for already. You know, I would have done it at some point in my life or I would take it with you. I will make that uh, step, make that that commitment. And I feel that this is a commitment that God is calling us to do, to make that commitment, to uh, do what we are asking of others or do what we are encouraging of others. You know, Jesus did that. He did all of that. He did all of that. He led by example. And I feel that he is calling us to do that. And so when it comes to young people, they need to be able to see. They need to be able to see that there's someone with them that see what works and, and be able to follow that. It's quite simple, you know. So therefore, if I can do it, you can do it too. And we're doing it together. And we're holding hands and we're jumping together you know, um, <clears throat> listening. Listening is key when it comes to young people. Um, that's really what they want, is someone to listen with, to them and to be able to help them work through what the issue is or what the need is or what the challenge is in the moment. Young people aren't necessarily thinking future, future, future all the time. It's moment to moment. What happens here? What happens at lunchtime has such an effect on what happens uh, two weeks later. Just that one incident, you know, they're very, very momentous, very, very moment to moment to moment to moment. And especially in this generation, everything's fast, everything's fast paced, everything's bite sized, everything's instant, everything's visually visual. And so for young people, they need to be able to have us understand them in the moment that listening heart, that non-judgmental heart, that is at that heart that says, I see you for where you, where you are, who you are, what, you, what you're doing, what you've done, and I love you anyway, you know? Not that they're necessarily looking for our approval, but they want to know that they are heard and hopefully understood which means that when we are going out, when we are walking along the streets as Jesus walked and we are engaging with all sorts of people, 
they were not doing it judgmentally. It's not about, oh, what can we give to you? What can we do for you? We are here. We're the Salvation Army and we're here to save your life. And if that, no, I'm here to understand. I'm here to sit with you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to help. We're always here to help. We all need help. Don't get me wrong. I'm here to support. I'm here to see what is it that you need and how I can help you to do that. And we do it together. You know, God is the savior. We don't need to take his job. He does it amazingly. You know, you can't do anything better than Jesus. But now what we need to do is to speed that, 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 that product of that, which is to go and love, really, really go and love intentionally, organically, you know? Like I say, the mission is over there, but it's the moments on the journey to that, to that ultimate goal. There's the important things, the day-to-day. Yes, I am a CEO and founder of the organization, but you will still see me with the young people. I'm taking some young people away in a few weeks' time. I will be there with the young people because as soon as I start to step back and disconnect, there's a barrier. I'm not going to understand them anymore. They're not going to understand me anymore. The effectiveness of the work we do will suffer because the disconnect comes. And in this society now, disconnect is so real. So I can't step back and say, I'm just going to sit at the desk and do the stuff that CEOs do and not engage with the young people. Engaging with the young people is the core, is the, is the life. That's where I'm going to show love, not behind my desk. Yes, I need to do the work. Yes, I need to do the paperwork and all that sort of stuff and sign stuff. And But where is going to be the life-changing moments? in the conversations, listening to them for the 10th time about the situation between them and their friends. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, what is wrong with you people? Just, just, you know, why are you arguing about this nonsense thing? But to them, it's the most important thing in their lives right now. And it's about being available, being available, available for God to use us to go out and use us, go out and use us without fear. Because let me just tell you now, and I know I'm sure some of you know who, 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 who are out in, in society, um, you need to, we need to be prepared. Be prepared for uh, that, that, that misunderstanding. Being prepared to be told, you have no idea what I'm talking about or how I feel or where I'm coming from, you know. Being prepared for the, the, the reality of life being prepared for the fact that it's, it, it, it's going to it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. There's, you're going to feel like you're just maybe a world away from the, the, the people you're trying to engage with. But that's okay. That's okay. Because if you can find one common thing, one common thing, then that's all you need. That's your start. Or if you can meet one need, that is your start. You know, I was cold, I was cold and you covered me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. That's it. That's your starting point. That's your starting point. But it's like I said, it's about positioning. Looking now, not just 
at the end point, the end game, but everything else around us, because this is where the gems are. This is where the life, the ugly churning of life is, the beautiful churning of life is. This is where we, this is where the fruit is. This is where the fruit is around us. And the fruit is disguised. It's, it's covered in mud. And it's drenched sometimes, and, and sometimes it's too far away to pick, or it's covered in thorns and stuff like that. And we've got to read through all these forms of life and everything like that, you know. But the fruit is right there. And last year I was, I was, I had to, got called by uh, the police. I can't even count to you how many times for one of our young people, um, because he was always getting arrested. And I was his appointed adult because his dad was already in prison. And his mum had decided that she couldn't cope with anymore. And so she gave him to the state, so to speak. He was now under care. He was a child in care. And uh, she had gone to Jamaica. And so I was his appointed adult. I was the person who was called whenever a situation had come about. I literally was at the police station over 10 times last year with him. I had to stand there and watch them strip searching as they searched for drugs and weapons. I had to sit there and see him go through an actual mental psychotic episode as he was conflicted, the, 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 the argument in his mind that overspelt into his, his, his uh, mouth and, and his words over the fact that his dad had 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 left him and, and abandoned him and his mom had left him abandoned him. and his family the the discourse in his family and how he feels like he was the black sheep and how because he's short he feels like he's disadvantaged and all these things and how the police are after him and you know just this verbal diarrhea of everything in his life the conflicts and all the pain and all the trauma that he is going through sitting there seeing all of that but still being able to see that beauty that God had made you know even when he when he wasn't listening when he continuously getting arrested continuously being able to see the beauty that was in him being able to hold on to that because I've seen him in a different light I've seen him when he's brilliant when his eyes are alert when he's not smoking weed when he's he's clear in his mind and he's doing something and he's excited and animated and and being able to produce amazing work and, and creativity and and engaging with everybody and helping others I've seen that but I've also seen him kick and scream and cry and vomit and steal and lie and all these things but be able to still see that fruit in society but that can only happen when we go out that's not going to happen in our building it's not going to happen in our building they're not going to just suddenly oh let me just come inside and and, and talk to everyone at church and and, and you know it's, it's not going to happen we have to go out we have to go out and reach people who are marginalized who need help and they are there they are there you know, and they are needing just that love of God, that love of God, you know, we're not there to save, God is already doing that, he's done that, he will make that, but we are there to engage, 
to engage. Organically, intentionally engage, position ourselves. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about doing that. So I guess my final question for you is, um, how do you position yourself to love? How are you going to position yourself to love? Or how do you position the church to love? Um, in our group previously, uh, I heard that actually Salvation Army was a movement or it is a movement. Yeah. It's not yeah. a church. Yeah. But somehow along the way, buildings were acquired and numbers started going. Everything started changing or something, you know, it's get back to that, that position of movement, you know. How is Salvation Army? How are we going to position ourselves to love? So what areas are we not working in? And we can say, you know what, well, someone else is doing that over there. And that's great. So then therefore we don't need to. Yeah. We can come with that, you know, and there's an argument for that. Okay, fine. But actually is there? Is there? Because if we keep saying someone else over there is doing it, it means we're not doing anything. Someone else can deal with it. But actually, we know the need is greater than, 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 than the amount of us, than the workers, you know? We know the need is greater. So you can have 10 million people over there doing different stuff. There's still space for us. There's still space for us to do. And it's about what is right there on our doorstep. Who is in need right there on the doorstep? Who needs a smile today? Who needs a hug today? Who needs that act, that display of God's love in their life today? You might not even for the first how long usher the words of Jesus to them. But they will feel him. They will feel him. Our God is a God of words, but he's a God of action as well. I can, heart, my heart, I say they will feel God. And if they can feel him before they even know his name, through what you're doing, I think that's an amazing testimony. Because when you come with the name of Jesus, that's going to land. That will have a much bigger impact. Feel, then being able to feel him, that acts of love. How can we position ourselves to do that? And if we, we don't know how, then we, 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 we train ourselves up. We speak to those who do. You know, we seek advice from godly counsel. You know? We get ourselves ready to do the work, to do the mission. But we can't just keep saying it's, it doesn't happen here or, or it's, it's not our remit or it's not this. It is. It's everybody's. It's absolutely everybody's. Very quickly before we just finish up. <laughs> is that right, Andrew? That's fine, um, okay. You all heard of Child Q, yes? The, the situation with the, the young girl in the school. I was at a meeting with various different youth workers from across the, the country. <clears throat> we were coming together. We know our heart, we're godly people. Um, in that meeting, I was so disheartened because Chad Q, it just, it just come out, that Chad Q, and nobody brought it up. Nobody said anything. And I'm thinking to myself, we are all youth workers, we're all Christian youth workers, we're here doing his work. This is a a situation we should be talking, we should be on our knees praying about, and nobody brought it up. And then when I said, I wrestled with it the whole day, the next day I wrestled with it, I said, I said to them, look, I have to say, 
I'm concerned. Why are we not talking about this? Why are we not reacting to this? And what came out? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We are trained youth professionals and we don't know what to do. This is dangerous times, absolutely dangerous times. And we need to be fit for the purpose, for purpose, for what God is calling us to do. And the time is urgent, the need is urgent. If God, if we're not ready to be used by God, he's gonna use someone else. He's gonna use someone else because the, the need is too great. And I really struggled that day because people said they didn't know what to do. And I understand it, but if you don't know, ask. If you don't know, let's sit down and let's, let's, let's work together until we do. Let's sit before the Holy Spirit until he tells us what to do. But that cannot be an excuse to go out and be community, to go out and be in society and really do what God has called us to do. Thank you. I mean, thank you so much. Um, when we wrote to the speakers um, this year to come on to this gathering, we said to them, go with whatever the Holy Spirit lays on your heart. And I love the way in which when you do that, it all sits together like a beautiful jigsaw. Amy doesn't know Rich Robertson, who doesn't know Emma, who doesn't know Ian, who doesn't know Carl, who doesn't know Onea. What God knows is in their spirit, there's a connectedness that takes place. Amy, what's come across today is your heart as a practitioner. I use that word very deliberately on this call because organisms are never bound by office. They're bound by practice. And the more that we release the movement, and I know exactly who you were in the room with when they used the words of movement. Salvation Army is a pioneering movement that needs to rediscover that and is rediscovering that for which we give thanks to God. I'll be deeply challenged by all you've shared this morning.